Our first reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, second reading is from Revelation 21, beginning at the first, ver- first verse. A new heaven and a new earth. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is a second death. Alrighty, here we go. Good morning. Um, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jess, um, and I've been part of this community for about five years, but um, I have been on a little stint overseas, so if I haven't seen you for a while, hello. Um, Let's start this time with prayer. Lord God of all creation, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here and learn from your word and from each other. Please soften our hearts and open our minds to hear from you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever had a moment where art has sliced through your very being and pierced your soul? Perhaps it was a song after a grief or a movie that you watched just before the birth of a child, a photo that captured something wild in you that spoke to your spirit, a painting, a dance, a play, a garden, a book, Just something that made you say, yes. 
That is the sound, form, shade, vibrancy, poetry, or movement of what I'm feeling deep in my gut. That's the perfect expression of something that I haven't been able to articulate. I had one of those moments um, as a young person when I watched the movie Chariots of Fire. I was a pretty weird kid. Um, I was quiet, good at school, and sensitive. Um, and I, I liked writing stories, but I loved to paint. Um, and I had this feeling when I had the paintbrush in my hands that was unlike anything else. Something happened when I painted that I could never quite explain. And then I watched the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, so that's a true story about a Scotsman named Eric Liddell, who was a runner and a Christian missionary. And in that movie, the story picks up with um, Eric in Scotland preparing to return to the mission field in China when he receives the invitation of a lifetime to join the British track and field team and run the 100 metres at the 1924 Paris Olympics. But accepting this offer would delay his return to China by a matter of years. And as Eric makes the decision about whether or not to go, his beloved sister Jenny expresses concern and she cautions him not to abandon his mission to pursue running. And Eric responds by saying, I believe God made me for a purpose, for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And in that moment, it was like a firecracker went off in my soul and suddenly there was shape and form and language to what I felt whenever I painted. That sentence gave voice to something that I had been unable to articulate, which was that when I painted, I could feel God's pleasure. I could feel the sunlight of God's smile on my skin. And that's what art, or in this case a movie, does. It gives life and voice to the things that simmer below the surface of articulation. And this week we're taking some time to reflect on the fourth vision statement for our community. Imagine a church that inspires creatives. And this morning I have three points that I would like to share with you about uh, what creativity is and why it's important, and then also some ideas about how we as a community can inspire creatives. And I have my, brought my trusty whiteboard along um, to help just keep us on track. Um, so, what is creativity? Well, firstly, creativity is a witness. It's a witness to the renewing work of God. As Christians, we believe that God is writing this glorious story that stretches from the Garden of Eden to the city of the new creation. We believe that God made this world to be good and right, a place where God would dwell with humanity, and then it was corrupted by sin. But the goodness of God is not thwarted by the brokenness of humanity. He sent Jesus to be a sacrifice to pay the price to defeat sin and death. And as we read earlier in Colossians, to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, to himself. God is renewing and restoring this world, filling it with new joy and purpose and delight. We are on a path to the new creation. Whereas we read in Revelation, Jesus will make all things 
new. A world in which everything that was true and lovely and good is vindicated, enhanced and set free from all pain and sorrow, where God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. And the good news that we believe in Jesus is that that new world, that new creation has already begun. It began when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is reconciling the world to himself. He is making all things new right now. In the now, he is making things new. And we are not the only ones who can see it happening. I remember sitting in a writing class some years ago and we were reading about fiction as art. And one of the things we read was Gertrude Stein's 1926 lecture, Composition and Explanation, which is pretty dense. But um, she put forward this idea that art is not tr about trying to move history forward or to coax the present into the future, but rather that there is something quite extraordinary happening in the present, in the now. And in fact, it is so extraordinary that we really struggle to grasp it. To summarize her theory, art is the struggle to give voice to the new that is happening now. To disclose what once laid bare seems to have always existed. That great, uh-huh, of course, moment. Art is the struggle to give voice to the new that is happening now. And I remember sitting in that class thinking, oh my goodness, you get it, you see it too. But it's not about what is happening, it's about who is happening. Jesus is happening, Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, through whom and for whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Or as one great Christian creative put it, Aslan is on the move. I believe creatives and artists, people who make things, are those who can feel the new creation work of God. Creatives are the people that can sense the breath of God moving beneath the surface of creation and wrestle to give it shape and color and voice and form and movement and character. All artists including those who do not follow Jesus as Lord. James 1.17 says, Do not be deceived. Every good gift comes from God. We don't fabricate beauty. We find it. It is revealed to us by God. And this is the goodness of God, that even those who don't believe in him can be witnesses to his great works. Creativity is a witness to the new creation. But for believers, it is also a communion. Got a bit cramped at the end, but that's fine. Um, Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers, walking, talking reflections of our creator. We are made to be like him, and he is a creator. We're created to be creative, to make stuff, to be makers of things. I read in an article last week that detailed a conversation between a Christian psychiatrist and a writer about the rise of burnout. And in that article, when asked about where God is in the context of burnout, he said, God is where he always is. 
He's right in the room. We practice forgetting God. We practice not paying attention to him. How true that is for me sometimes. At this stage in my life, I find that there's really a problem that I can't solve to some extent in my own strength. Um, I make my living walking into situations that have all gone pear-shaped and trying to straighten them out. I can feed myself, clothe myself, house myself, entertain myself. I can even help other people if I want to. I can do so much without even thinking of God. Life has taught me to practice forgetting God. And I wonder if you sometimes practice forgetting God too. When we create, we give ourselves the opportunity to remember God with our hands and minds and hearts. When we make things, we give ourselves the opportunity to commune with the creator, to wrestle with our own ineptness. When we create, we face our own limitations. We face our own failure because we have to try things that might not work. We face the time that it takes to create, the resources. We contemplate the cost of creating. We commune with our own humanness and God's sovereignty over our world in a new way because it can be really hard and time-consuming and even a bit boring to make something. As I was contemplating this week, I came across this quote from Sidney Sheldon. A blank piece of paper is God's way of telling us how hard it is to be God. Or as Ernest Hemingway put it, there's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at the typewriter and bleed. There are deep things in us that escape natural expression, things that are perhaps not meant to be shared with anyone but God. And the blank page or canvas or screen or stage listens to us softly and without condemnation, just as God listens to us. To create is to pay attention to the work of God in the world, to pay attention to the things in us that are aching to get out, to pay attention to the richness of creation, to listen for the breath of God. God has given us these gifts of words, structure, food, art, gardening, making, building, so we can talk to and hear from him, so we can commune with him. We don't fabricate beauty. We find it through the Holy Spirit. And when we create and commune with God, we can all feel that sunshine of God's smile on our faces. So creativity is a witness. For believers, it is a communion. But it is also kingdom work. Creativity is one of the ways that we participate in God's new creation work, in his kingdom work. Tom Wright is a bishop in the Anglican Church in the UK and a New Testament scholar. And in his writings, he talks about three things that invoke the new creation into our current creation. And those things are mercy, or acts of justice, beauty, and evangelism. And we know the kingdom work is bigger than creativity and beauty, but creativity and beauty are part of it. As much a part of it, Tom Wright would suggest, as evangelism. In his book, Art and Faith, there we go. In his book, Art and Faith, 
uh, Makoto Fujimura, who's a Christian artist, suggests that beauty is how we participate in the renewing of the world. He goes as far as to say that without beauty, the gospel won't change the world. And if you'd like to read more about that, there's going to be a couple of copies of this up the back that you can take and read. Just bring it back when you're done to bless someone else. In Australia, we're workaholics. Did you know that a research survey conducted by Australia's Institute for the Centre of Future Work showed that we are now working 1.5 hours more each week than before COVID? And in fact, for the last three years, every year, we've worked 1.5 hours more each week. We work and we work and we work. We feel pressured to work more, to achieve more, to contribute more. We like bang for buck. We want to work smarter, not harder, to streamline processes and wring every last drop of efficiency out of pipelines. Whether to fulfill our own life goals or to serve others, there's a sense that if we don't keep at it, everything might just fall between our fingers. But Jesus did not say, I have come to put you to work. He said, I have come to bring you life, and life to the full, life abundant. And of course, life includes work, and work is good, and God in his grace has prepared good works for us to do. Indeed, we have very important work to do here as custodians of God's creation. But life is more than working for results or outcomes or goals or the bottom line. Some of the works that God has for us are extravagant, gratuitous in their grandeur, and perhaps just beautiful without any pragmatic or practical value. And I think society can push us in a direction of utilitarian pragmatism. It can make us feel guilty for not being productive, for not trying hard enough. But if we focus only on work of pragmatic importance, we practice believing that joy and life and delight and beauty in the world are unnecessary and extravagance that just can't be justified with the seriousness of our times. But we are not the people of this culture. We are the people of God. And God is extravagant. He parts seas. He calms storms. He sends food from the sky. Jesus touched people, he spoke with people, he cried with people, and then he brought them back from the dead. He created this whole world. And this photo that's on the front of the booklet is from NASA, popped up in my Instagram feed last week, and I thought, wow, that is astonishingly beautiful. These constellations are actually called the pillars of creation. And they've only just become visible to us through the use of a new telescope, a near-infrared light view that managed to clear some of the dust that's previously been in the way. And as I looked at that, I thought about the moment at the beginning of time when Jesus held the stars in his hands before he flung them into space. In that moment, he knew the limitations of our human eyes. And yet, he created magnificent beauty. How extravagant is the goodness of God that he flings into space stars with no human witnesses 
for all the thousands of years of human history until now. The enemy would have us believe that darkness is the prevailing force in our world, that the world is on a knife edge, that there's no time to waste on beauty when our survival is at stake. But the enemy is wrong. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And beauty stands in defiance of hopelessness. It stands in defiance of scarcity culture. When we create, we declare that beauty is not wasteful. There is more beauty to find. God has prepared it for us to find. Stories, songs, paintings, gardens, meals, these are all the extravagance that God has used to reveal himself to us. God never limited himself to didactic prose when revealing himself to Israel. He tells a multi-sensory truth, truth with fire cooking meat and blood painted on doorsteps and talking donkeys and vomiting fish and hungry bears and wandering goats and burning plants and thunder and smoke and rocks and bugs and milk and honey. He tells the truth in vivid images of like skeletons coming back to life and apocalyptic sea monsters. And then there's the prophetic performance art. Isaiah wanders naked for three years and Hosea marries a well-known harlot. God loves a story. He wrote the most extraordinary story for us in the Bible. And when it got really, really good, he gave us four versions of it. Oh, the overwhelming, undeserved, extravagant love of God for us and for this world. There is no scarcity in him. There is no need for utilitarian pragmatism. And by being creative, by valuing the time and effort it takes to make things, by embracing the failures and the boredom and the triumphs of creating, by doing the work of beauty, we are doing the kingdom work of speaking light into darkness. And by participating with Jesus in the work of reconciling all things to himself and bringing his kingdom into fruition. Creativity is a witness a communion, and kingdom work. But how does this apply to our lives? What does it mean for our church and our community to inspire creatives? And I'd like us to think about it in two ways this morning. Firstly, as people. If creativity is a witness to the new creation, the primary way that we can inspire people is just to participate in the renewing of the world by being on fire for Jesus, by letting the knowledge that he is reconciling the world get down deep in us and grow and overflow. To behave like we really believe that Jesus is the king of this world and that he is at work. If we bring faith into our lives, that is inspiring creatives. And it is creative because we'll be making something new, whether that's a work culture or a friendship or a set of bookshelves or a cake. We're making something new. And the richest way, I think, that we can bring our faith into our lives is to pray. When will you pray? We participate in the renewing of our world by praying. We use our voices and our bodies to create a description of the world 
that we want to see come to be in Jesus. And we speak it into life and God hears us. We can be a people that pray and that will inspire creatives. But we can also, just as people, cultivate creative communion in our lives. You might not identify as a creative. You might say, oh, that's nice, that's not me, Um, which is great. God is an artist. Um, He hasn't pushed us all out of a mould. He's crafted us individually, and we're all different. But in our differences, I do think that we can cultivate creative communion in our own lives. If we take time to respond to God in words, shapes, movements, making really anything, we can all make something, even if it's just making a mess. We can all make something. Let's be makers of things. Uh, To help with that, there's going to be 12 notebooks at the back. They look like this in various different versions. Um, And these have all been, they all have the vision on the front, and these have all been prayed over by our small group, all of them. Um, If you would like to start a practice of creative communion and you're not sure what to do, take a notebook. There's 12 of them. If we need more, we can get more. Um, But take it and just put something in it. Anything is fine. Creativity and in communion is about expression, not excellence. Just put something in the book. So that's what we can do as individuals. But as a church, I think as a whole community, we can do some things as well. Internally, within our own community, we can support and celebrate and unleash the creative creatives among us. If you're a creative, I just want to say you are good and true and beautiful and we love you and your gift is a gift from God and we'd love to see that um, shine in our community. I'd love to see more art and dance and sculpture and banners and maybe even a bit of performance art um, as part of our Sunday time together just so that we can, you know, have fun and bask in that smile of God. If you've got ideas about how you'd like to do that, come have a chat with me. It'd be great. Um, Let's make it part of our culture to affirm creatives, but to affirm as well expression, not excellence. I also think we have some work to do to inspire creatives externally. If we believe that God is working in the world to bring forth the new creation and that creative sense, that movement of the breath of God beneath the surface of creation, then we should be amongst it, fostering art and music and beauty in the world because creatives already see God. They're yearning to know the who. So I had some ideas for how we might be able to do that. Um, And what I was hoping is that I'm going to throw these ideas out there and then we as a community can pray and ask God if any of these things, if there's other things, what might they be, that the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So number one, arts grants. I would love it if we would potentially put aside some some money, find some money, raise it, however which way, to say, if you're an artist, we think that's important. 
We think that bringing beauty in the world is important and we have a series of grants that can be applied for. I would love for us to have an artist in residence program here. Imagine what might happen if we invited someone into our church, someone who doesn't believe, who is an artist, and we just said, we'd love for you to be part of our community. No strings attached, except we'd like you to respond to what you see and hear through art. Not for the purpose of evangelism, that is important on its own, but for the purpose of beauty, which is also kingdom work. Did you know that St. Paul's, um, the cathedral, has an artist-in-residence program? And in fact, I think just recently, they installed um, a beautiful piece of artwork um, showing the Aboriginal country on which the cathedral stands. And this work um, was created by a priest and artist um, who's the artist-in-residence at the cathedral, Reverend Glenn Laurie, who is Indigenous. How wonderful to have art as part of our worship to God. And the church, more broadly, has a long history of supporting artists. Could we be part of that? Could we do that? The other idea I'd like to throw out there is just literally ordaining artists. If we really think that art is part of the kingdom work, could we have artists that are ordained by the church simply to be artists, to build us up, to encourage us? to do that kingdom work, to serve in that way? Could we have a school for creativity and culture? The possibilities are endless, and um, I find it exciting, but I know that God has prepared things for us to do. We're not asked to just, like, woo, go out and make up our own plan. Um, we can ask God and say, you've put this community together. I look around and I see a very unique grouping of people and God has brought us together with good works for us to do. And we can ask him to clue us in on the plan. And in the Bible he says he will. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you without reproach. And so as we consider and we pray about the programs, I just want to say that programs cannot replace prayer. Nothing is as powerful as the work of God in the new creation in us and this world. So as we consider what these good collective works might be, let us pray and through prayer participate in Jesus reconciling everything in heaven and on earth to himself. Please pray with me. Lord of all creation, we give you praise for your great artistry. You are the true artist of the kingdom. We ask today that you reveal to us the works that you have prepared for us to do to inspire creatives. We ask that each one of us may be drawn deeper into you, that we may know and love you more, and by bringing about your new creation in us, we may inspire others. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.